Hello, YA fantasy and adventure fans, and welcome to Armin Pogarian's Penny Preston and the Raven's Talisman. My name is Jess, and this is Cam Cat Unwrapped. I'll be introducing you to each episode of Armin Pogarian's Penny Preston and the Raven's Talisman. This tale explores what happens when you mix science and legend. Penny Preston is a gifted eighth grader living in a small town in upstate New York. When the universe falls into misalignment, it's up to her to protect life as we know it. Are myths more than superstitious explanations for unknown phenomena? Can science resolve all of life's mysteries? What truths lie in the gray area between fact and fiction? This unputdownable book explores these questions and more. It's a story of friendship, trust, and betrayal that stretches back to the foundational myths of human civilization. But that's not the only reason I love this book. Penny Preston and the Raven's Talisman is one of those books that reignites your wonder and makes you question the boundary between fact and myth. It's a book to live in. If you find yourself loving this book as much as we do, CamCat Unwrapped is hosting a giveaway this week where one lucky winner will receive the full audiobook of Penny Preston and the Raven's Talisman for free. All you have to do to enter is subscribe to our podcast, YouTube channel, or newsletter and answer a quick survey, all of which are linked in our bio. Each new subscription is one entry. So make sure you enter for your chance to win this book to live in. Enjoy. If you don't want to miss a beat, listen to Penny Preston and the Raven's Talisman now on the audiobook platform of your choice. All our books are also available in print and ebook formats on camcatbooks.com or wherever books are sold. The first two episodes of every book can always be found on Camcat Unwrapped, but subsequent episodes will be available for free listening only for a short time after their release. So subscribe to Camcat Unwrapped, and if you love this story, you can support the author by buying the audiobook. The story opens in the seventh dimension, where a betrayal is beginning to reveal itself. Prologue Long Ago in the Seventh Dimension Master. They were alone, or as alone as possible in a universe of instantly shared thoughts, so the apprentice felt comfortable addressing his superior with the shortened title. What will you do now that the council declared your work unworthy? Press on, replied the master. We are on the verge of a breakthrough. Once we create a stable window, they cannot prevent us from observing the lower universes. The apprentice was pleased. Other masters of knowledge were more highly regarded, but none pushed the envelope the way this master did. You will make powerful enemies if you continue. Perhaps, but I still have you— and the others, sympathetic to my cause. They may not like my science, but they will defend my right to continue it. I corrected our previous error, but the alteration introduces new possibilities. Would you please cross-check it while I contact the others? Of course, 
replied the apprentice as he accepted the master's thoughts. The solution would indeed create a stable window into the lower universes. The apprentice saw the anomaly the master mentioned, but he recognized what the master missed. With just a few adjustments, the window could be converted into a portal between the universes. It was time to seize his opportunity. Have you completed your analysis? Yes, master. It is a most brilliant solution. You are indeed worthy of your title. And the anomaly? It is a curve that turns back on itself. A close-ended loop. I hoped that would be the case. Then you will proceed. Yes, and thank you for your diligence. The others have agreed to protect me while I create the window. I need you to coordinate the defense. Are you ready? Yes, master. I am ready, replied the apprentice, pleased at his double meaning. Chapter One Early September Duncan O'Brien walked up the Preston steps and rang the bell, just like he had done every school morning for the past eight years. Penny's parents alternated weeks working from home and at the office. This week was her father's turn at home, and he made the best waffles Duncan ever tasted. Mr. Preston opened the door. Good morning, Duncan. Good morning, Mr. Preston. Is Penny ready? Mr. Preston glanced at his watch and shook his head. I'm afraid not. You're a bit early this morning. Duncan looked at the ground, shuffled his feet, and mumbled, I'm sorry. Penny's still finishing her breakfast. I made a few extra waffles. Would you like to help us finish them off? Duncan's head snapped up, and a smile lit his face. Sure, if it's not too much trouble. No trouble at all. I have an early virtual meeting this morning, so just head on back and help yourself. You know where the plates and silverware are, right? Yes, thanks. And with that, Duncan rushed through the door. As he walked into the kitchen, Penny looked up from her plate and greeted him with her mismatched brown and blue eyes. Hi, Penny. Your dad told me you had some extra waffles that needed to be eaten. Penny pointed over her shoulder. There are two fresh ones already on a plate. Duncan sat down, doused his waffles in maple syrup, and dug in. Using his fork to cut them, he stuffed the dripping chunks into his mouth with amazing speed. It feels strange that we only have two classes together this year, and that they're both with new teachers. I mean, what's up with Mr. Murden's fascination with gray? Duncan asked. Not only are his hair and eyes gray, but he always wears gray clothes. Even his favorite tea is Earl Gray. The only thing that's not gray is his ring. Have you ever noticed that he twists it whenever he's in deep thought? Duncan shrugged as he swallowed the last bits of his breakfast. He's a science teacher. They're all a bit off. He even looks like Einstein. I know. At the beginning of class, his hair's always neat and orderly. But by the end, individual strands are flying around like they've got minds of their own. Duncan laughed. Yeah, Jean and Mark made a game out of it. Penny arched the eyebrow above her brown eye. Oh, what's that? Before class, you guess how many hairs will escape by the end of the period. Whoever comes closest wins. Penny shook her head. One of these days, those two are going to go too far. 
You're probably right. What do you think about Ms. Morgan? She's okay, I guess. Don't tell me you don't enjoy her stories about archaeological digs from all over the world. She's even worked at Stonehenge. What's so interesting about sifting through dirt and dust for fragments of pottery? You're kidding, right? Can't you picture her dressed in black leather, wearing one of those excavating helmets as she unearths ancient artifacts? She's like an elegant, statuesque, black-haired version of Indiana Jones. All she needs is a whip. Duncan raised his right arm and snapped it in a thrashing motion. Penny rolled her eyes. She doesn't need a whip. She's already got most of the boys in the class falling over themselves to get her attention. You don't know the half of it. Last Thursday, I had to save Eddie. At the end of class, he just sat in his chair, staring at her while she was erasing the whiteboard. Oh, the horror. Hey, I'm serious. It's bad enough for another student to see you staring at a teacher. It's an unrecoverable disaster if the teacher catches you. Speaking from experience, Duncan's eyelids fluttered for a moment. Then he said, no, my brother told me about it. Oh, yeah? Which one? Penny was wondering which one of the twins was more likely to find himself in such a predicament. Patrick, I think. Anyway, I knew I had to save Eddie, so I pulled an eraser out of my pocket and pegged him in the back of the head with it. When she turned around, he pretended he was looking for something on the floor. The grandfather clock in the hallway chimed 7.15. We need to get going. Will you take care of the dishes? I've got to get my backpack. I'll meet you on the front porch. Penny left the kitchen without waiting for Duncan's reply. Lunchtime in the cafeteria. While waiting for pizza, Penny felt a sudden chill and began to shiver. Through chattering teeth, she asked Mary Anderson, Are you cold? No, Mary said. Grace, Mary's twin sister, also shook her head. It's like a million degrees waiting next to these ovens. Are you okay? You don't look so good. Maybe you should go to the nurse's office, Mary suggested. Grace nodded in agreement. I'm not sick, just cold. Mary and Grace looked at each other. Then they both shrugged. The three girls made their way across the cafeteria. Mark and Duncan were sitting at their usual table, just as Penny sat down, she saw a bright red light flash outside the cafeteria. Hey, did any of you see that red light in the hallway? I didn't see anything, Mary said. It was like a fire alarm signal, but without the blaring siren. Mary turned to Grace, who pressed her lips together and shook her head. Penny looked to the boys. Duncan brushed his chin with the back of his hand. Sorry, I didn't see anything. How about you, Mark? No, but I bet you just saw light refracting through the glass wall. That thick glass can do strange things to sunlight. That makes sense, Grace added, then turned to Duncan. I heard a rumor that you threw a book at Eddie Masius in Ms. Morgan's class last week. Why would you do that? Eddie's a nice guy, Mary asked. Duncan took a deep breath in and let out a sigh. That's not what happened at all. Having heard the story, Penny turned her thoughts back to the red light. As she did, a blue flash filled the hallway. A brilliant burst of yellow followed quickly behind it. She looked to her friends. Duncan finished telling his tale, which made Mark Chapman laugh so hard milk squirted out of his nose. 
It shot across the table, leaving a white line with a few dark specks in it, ending just short of Mary's tray. Mary and Grace both scrunched their faces, stuck out their tongues, and in unison said, Ew! The boys laughed even louder. Penny scanned the other tables in the cafeteria. No one else had taken notice of the exploding lights either. These were no refractions of sunlight, nor were they alarms. Before she could process what that meant, the scene in the hallway changed. A small cloud of roiling smoke materialized in the center of the hallway. She rubbed her eyes. When she opened them, the smoke had more than doubled in size. Tendrils of smoke grew out of the billowing cloud and broke off, forming new columns. No one else in the cafeteria was taking any notice of the multiplying clouds of fog. Whatever was happening, she was the only one who could see it. Three more bright flashes of red, blue, and yellow light filled the hallway. After the last flash, she counted thirteen misty clouds. The hair on the back of her neck stood on end. The clouds ceased their roiling and instantly transformed into eight-foot-tall monsters of shadow. Each was a different amalgamation of powerful predators, with claws, horns, razor-sharp teeth, and in one case a giant eagle's beak. An image of the monsters from where the wild things are popped into her head. As it did, the shadows finished coalescing. Each creature faced Penny, opened its mouth, and roared in unison. Before the echoes died away, they rushed through the glass wall straight toward her. Her friends continued to laugh, oblivious to what was happening. Without thinking about it, she grabbed Mark Chapman's tapioca and threw it toward the shadows. The lights in the cafeteria flickered off and on. The tapioca flew across the room. It passed through the shadow with an eagle's head and hit Jean Shoemaker right in the face. Most people would dodge tapioca coming at their face, but the timing of the flickering lights was just right. Jean didn't see anything until it was too late. He quickly figured out where it came from. It helped that Mark was screaming, Where's my tapioca? Not a violent or vengeful person. Jean was still an eighth grader covered in tapioca, so he did what he had to do. He fired his tapioca toward Mark. Fortunately for Mark, Jean couldn't aim for beans. His tapioca landed two tables to the left, splattering pudding across three unsuspecting students. They, in turn, retaliated with a barrage of pudding, setting off a chain reaction of flying tapioca. The torrent of pudding showed no mercy as everyone in the cafeteria was caught in the chain reaction of the crossfire. Miss Jane, the school principal, walked into the cafeteria at the height of the melee. Three volleys of tapioca hit her almost simultaneously as the pudding impacted with three audible splats. A sudden calm descended on the cafeteria. It was hard to tell if everyone had regained their senses or simply ran out of ammunition. Tapioca dripped from the ceiling. It covered the tables. It streaked the windows. It ran down Miss Jane's jacket. 
The only thing it didn't cover were the shadows. They were gone. Had the tapioca driven them away? Had Penny imagined the whole thing? As she pondered these questions, Penny caught a glimpse of Mr. Murden looking through the tapioca-streaked windows. He was looking directly at her. When their eyes met, he twisted his ring and walked away. She didn't know how, but somehow he knew she had started the food fight. Her shoulders slumped in anticipation of the inevitable detention. Arriving just as everything ended, school security began asking questions and getting answers. The normal student code of silence wilted under Miss Jane's glare. While the primary flingers of food remained behind, the rest of the students were dismissed. The pudding plastered were sent to the restroom to clean up as best they could. Throughout the afternoon, students were pulled from class and called in as witnesses. By the end of the day, much to Penny's surprise and relief, Jean and Mark were identified as the instigators. Later that same day, the tall, raven-haired woman removed the plant from the silver bowl and placed it on the floor. Then she poured water into the bowl. She placed her left hand over her triquetra amulet. She made sure the amulet was over her heart, just as she imagined the druid who crafted it had done thousands of years ago. Simultaneously, she touched the tips of her index, middle, and ring fingers of her right hand to the water. Certain her protections were properly in place, she began the summons, repeating the ancient words three times. A fog formed on the surface of the water, growing until it engulfed the bowl and its supporting tripod. A voice emanated from the fog. What went wrong with the portal creation? The girl created a cross-dimensional rift that interfered with it. I thought you said she was untrained. Perhaps we were mistaken. You mean you were mistaken. I do not make mistakes, unless I have made one in choosing you. You haven't. The girl has a strong connection to the higher planes— she acted on instinct when she sensed the portal opening. Are you saying the girl is capable of closing a portal without knowing what she is doing, or is she better prepared than you thought? Her hands trembled, but she maintained contact with the water and her amulet. The entity was testing her. She closed her eyes and took a deep breath. As she let it out, she responded, I'm certain she hasn't started training. She pulled tapioca. Tapioca, interrupted the voice. It's a type of dessert pudding, but that's not important. She pulled it through a dimensional rift, which created an energy wave that collapsed the portal. Murden and his friend will certainly have noticed. They will scramble to begin her training. But they will fail, I wanted to surprise them by establishing the portal before the next confluence. It didn't work, but we learned she's well-connected. We'll be better prepared. You better be, responded the voice, sending shivers through her body. You better be. Murden may be getting old, but never discount 
the master. With that, the presence lifted, and the fog dissipated. She took the broad-brimmed silver bowl from the tripod and emptied the water into the plant, which she then placed into the bowl. Chapter 2 After her last class, Penny found a longhand note from Mr. Murden in her locker, requesting a meeting in his office after school. She'd been expecting it all day. No doubt he wanted to talk to her about the food fight. She was sure by the way he'd stared at her from the hallway that he knew she started it. She walked past the nurse's office into the administrative wing. Mrs. Lester, the school secretary, was on the phone and absently waved Penny through. She walked past the principal's office and caught a glimpse of Mark and Jean standing in front of Miss Jane. All she managed to hear was something about permanent records and two weeks cleaning the cafeteria after school. Her stomach turned in knots. She knew she was in for much worse. She couldn't see into Mr. Murden's office, but the door was partially open. She heard him talking with someone. The second voice sounded too high-pitched for an adult, but she didn't recognize it as one of her fellow students. The second voice fell silent when she knocked on the door. A moment later, Mr. Murden said, "'Ah, Miss Preston, please come in and sit down.' Penny glanced around the office and saw no one else. Overstuffed bookshelves lined all the walls. The overflow books were haphazardly stacked wherever there was room. The statue of a large black bird perched on top of one tall stack— motion from one of the stacks caught Penny's attention. She raised her eyebrows in surprise as the statue preened itself, then took flight. It wasn't a statue at all, but a living bird. It landed on the desk and started rummaging through a pile of papers with its beak, scattering them across the area. Mr. Murden took little notice. Why's your pet making such a mess? Before Mr. Murden could answer, the bird stopped thrashing and let out a loud caw, which Penny swore she heard as, Pat! As she mulled over what she thought she heard, the bird spoke again, and this time she clearly understood it as, Who is she calling a pet? Penny also recognized the bird's voice as the one she'd overheard from the hallway. Mr. Murden said nothing. Instead, he unwrapped a stick of gum and did the strangest thing. He threw the stick into the garbage, smiled toward the bird, and held out the foil wrapper. The offering silenced the bird. It pivoted its head from side to side several times before taking the foil gift in its beak. With the bird quiet, Mr. Murden turned his attention back to Penny. I'm sorry he tends to get a little agitated around strangers. That's okay, but how did you teach him to speak? His eyes widened, and the smile dropped from his face. Penny, do you understand Master Poe? You mean the bird? He nodded. Yeah, I do. It was hard at first, but now I can make out his words, and I recognize him as the voice I overheard from the hallway. Mr. Murden took a deep breath and smiled at Penny, after a long, silent pause, he broke his smile and sighed. 
Yes, I was having a conversation with Master Poe before you arrived. I wasn't aware that you overheard us. Penny quickly interjected. I wasn't eavesdropping. I mean, I heard your voices, but I couldn't make out any of the words. I was too worried. Worried? About what? On my way here, I saw Miss Jane grilling Mark and Jean. I figured I was in trouble, too. I see, Mr. Murden said, nodding his head and stifling a chuckle. Penny, you are not here because of the food fracas. She raised the brow above her blue eye. Trust me, no one outside this room suspects that you were involved. Oh, then why am I here? And what's the deal with your bird? It's cool that he can speak, but saying words isn't the same as having a conversation. And why do you keep referring to him as if he were a person? Master Poe responded, She needs to know the truth, my friend. Mr. Murden closed his eyes and let out a long sigh. Yes, old friend, if you're right, then she does. But I need to be sure. I've never worked with a misaligned girl before. They're the same as boys, perhaps even a little smarter. That she can hear me and understand me without assistance, coupled with yesterday's events, is enough proof for me. But there are other signs and tests. Very well. Why don't you get started? Master Poe flew across the desk and stood directly in front of Penny. He was taller than she expected, well over a foot tall. Standing on the desk, he easily looked straight into her eyes. For the first time, Master Poe spoke directly to her. Penny, are you right-handed or left-handed? Sort of both, she said with a shrug. I write with my right hand, but I throw and do most athletic things with my left. Dad always says that's because my left eye is blue like my mom's, and my right is brown like his. So my left side takes after her and my right after him. I know, it's silly, but it helped me deal with some of the teasing about my different colored eyes. Master Poe turned toward Mr. Murden and nodded his beak up and down. Mr. Murden ignored him. Do you have frequent nightmares? Penny shuddered. I used to have terrible nightmares. Everyone has nightmares, interjected Mr. Murden. Master Poe disregarded Murden's remark and remained focused on Penny. Do you have any recurring nightmares? She wrinkled her nose and pursed her lips before answering. Yes, one. Can you describe it for me? Penny crossed her arms and shook her head. Every time I try to tell anyone about it, even right after it happens, I can't. It's in the back of my mind, but I can't put it into words. She broke eye contact with Master Poe and looked at Mr. Murden. He sat in his chair with his fingers steepled in front of his face, his chin resting on his thumbs and his index fingers on his nose. He almost looked like he was praying, except for his eyes. His pupils were small points of black in a sea of gray. His lower eyelids quivered. Master Poe flapped his wings, breaking her concentration. Penny turned to face him and reestablished eye contact. In Master Poe's eyes, she saw sparkles of blue, flecks of yellow, and hints of red. The colors twinkled on and off at an ever-increasing rate. 
She couldn't tear her gaze away. She watched as red, yellow, and blue dots rotated, accelerated, and spiraled until they blurred together. The spiraling lights were reassuring. Unable to turn away, all she could see were the spiraling stars. All the sounds in the room faded away except for Master Poe's voice. Penny, I want you to relax. Without breaking eye contact with Master Poe, Penny unfolded her arms and placed her hands on her knees. Well done. Now I'm going to ask you some questions about your nightmare. At the mention of her nightmare, she shivered. Penny... You are safe. Murden and I won't let any harm come to you. Do you trust me? After a short pause, she nodded. Good. Let's get to your nightmare. Tell me where you are. I'm in a clearing surrounded by a circle of tall trees. There's a giant boulder in the middle of the glade. I'm standing next to it. Excellent, Penny. What else can you tell me? The sun is shining brightly, but the air is chilly. There's something white covering the ground. Is it winter? Is the ground covered with snow? Penny shook her head. No, the trees are filled with leaves. The whiteness on the ground isn't snow. It's more like a cloud. Does it look like fog? Yes, but it doesn't move like fog. Parts of it are forming tendrils that are spiraling up from the ground. The spirals are spinning faster and growing taller. The mist in the tendrils is getting darker and more solid. They're growing thicker and longer. They look like giant tentacles rising out of the earth. What are the tentacles doing? They're just thrashing through the air. No, now they've all stopped moving. They're just standing straight up in the air. Hey! When she screamed, Penny leapt up, stood on the chair, and rapidly rubbed her hands over her lower legs. Penny, you're just telling us a story. You are not in the glade. Remember, you're with me and Murden in his office. Nothing can harm you here. You're safe. Do you understand? She nodded, but continued to rub her legs. That's very good. Now can you tell us what happened? Why did you scream? And why are you rubbing your legs? The tentacles shot out toward me. One of them touched my feet, and freezing icicles shot up my legs. I screamed and climbed to the top of the boulder. What are the tentacles doing now? They're swirling around the boulder. Some of them are slithering up and others are diving into the ground. They've grabbed the boulder. The boulder's moving. I'm losing my balance. I'm going to fall into the tentacles. Ay! Penny's knees wobbled and her feet danced across the seat of the chair. Release her. I've seen enough, Mr. Murden said. A brilliant white flash filled the room. Penny gasped. Her skin flushed in the warm air. She raised her hands to her ears pointing her elbows out in front of her body. Her gaze darted from side to side. She took a deep breath and smelled the lemon of Mr. Murden's tea. She wiped tears from her cheeks and lowered her hands to her side. What just happened? Why am I standing on this chair? 
Master Poe glanced between Penny and Mr. Murden. The bird replied, I hypnotized you. I'm sorry if I frightened you, but we needed to hear the details of your nightmare. Penny stepped down from the chair. Hypnotism! Why did you do that? I already admitted that I'm the one who started the food fight. Just what is this? Why do I hear your bird talking? Penny, let me try to explain. This is deadly serious. I promise to answer your questions as directly as I can. Please forgive Master Poe. He only hypnotized you because I refused to believe what was sitting in front of me. Chapter 3 Mr. Murden began with an odd question. Penny, are you familiar with M-theory? Yeah, a little. It's what my parents are researching at the Monroe Institute. It's an idea that unifies the various string theories into one consistent theory by adding the eleventh dimension to the universe, or something like that. Hmm, that's quite good. I see you've got your parents' aptitude for science. I'll expect more from you in class this year. Penny winced. The universe exists in more dimensions than humans are usually aware. There's more to it than length, width, height, and time. Are you with me? So far. Okay, that's the foundation of everything. There are dimensions that humans usually don't perceive. Usually? So sometimes humans do perceive them? I told you girls are smarter, Master Poe said. I'm not sure Art understood that until he experienced it. She's raised a valid point. Let's not confuse her with references to old friends, though, okay? Master Poe nodded his beak and flew back to his perch on the tallest pile of books. Mr. Murden continued. You're right, Penny, I was very precise. For almost everyone, the universe only consists of three dimensions, plus time— However, there are periods when it's easier for people to perceive aspects of higher dimensions. One of them is on Halloween. Stories about ghosts, ghouls, and other monsters are rooted in people experiencing dimensions differently than they do under normal circumstances. The corners of Penny's mouth curled up in a slight frown. Are you saying that ghosts and monsters are real? In a manner of speaking, but not as most people think of them. Rather, they are explanations for experiences that most people find unexplainable. What are they seeing, then? In the case of ghosts, they're experiencing a pocket of folded time. Folded time? Ghosts are some sort of time travelers. Not quite. When our universe's time dimension folds back on itself... Objects from both time periods are forced into the same three physical dimensions. But things can't occupy the same physical space. So how does that work without everything getting all mixed up? The universe cheats. Penny's eyes narrowed. That doesn't make any sense. As you noted, things can't physically occupy the same space at the same time. To avoid this during time folds, the three dimensions are jilted slightly out of phase with each other. Things and people from the earlier time period 
are not quite fully solid in the latter period, and vice versa. So they look like ghosts. Mr. Murden nodded at Penny's question. Okay, but if they're minding their own business, then why are they trying to scare people? In most cases, they're not. Folded time is quite rare, and people don't have the experience to deal with it. Imagine you're a Seneca warrior caught in a pocket of folded time. What would you make of an airplane, a car, or something as innocuous as a vacuum cleaner, especially when you can't even touch them? Flip it around. How would a modern person handle the sudden appearance of an ethereal Seneca warrior in their kitchen? If it was my mom, she'd probably freak out. Mr. Murden tapped the side of his nose. Mix that fear with some imagination, and you've got a haunting. Even if I believe you, that only explains ghosts. How does it explain monsters like the shadows? And what about Master Poe? You don't expect me to believe there's some time period where ravens speak English and hypnotize people, do you? Of course not. Just as humans experience four dimensions in our universe, there are entities that experience other dimensions of the universe. Most of the time they exist in their dimensions distinctly separate from ours and are as unaware of us as we are of them. But... Like us, they occasionally experience deviations to their dimensional rules that expose them to our universe. We register as a fleeting glimpse or a strange feeling, but that's usually it. Are you with me so far? She nodded. You said usually again, meaning there's more to this than meets the eye? From his perch on the book pile, Master Poe said, I warned you that she was a bright one. Mr. Murden shook his head slightly. Yes, Penny, on very rare occasions, a portal forms between dimensions that allows a being from another dimension to fully enter our universe. The Shadows and Master Poe are examples of such entities. Penny looked to Master Poe, and her eyes opened wide. Why is he a bird instead of a roiling cloud of mist, or a glowing ball of light? Before Mr. Murden could answer, Master Poe croaked, Seeing is believing. Mr. Murden nodded his head and rose from his chair. He opened a drawer in his desk and removed a worn, triangular piece of blue glass. He closed the drawer and walked over to a five-sided mirror hanging on the wall and beckoned Penny to join him. Master Poe left his perch and landed on Mr. Murden's shoulder. Mr. Murden carefully placed the glass in one of the mirror's corners. Penny noticed the other corners had different colored pieces of glass in them. As he did this, the images in the mirror fluctuated. Mr. Murden's became a fuzzy gray shadow with only his ring clearly visible. Penny's image retained its general outline and shape. Her clothes faded into shades of gray, similar to Mr. Murden's, but her eyes, one brown and one blue, stared back at her from the mirror. The most astonishing change was to Master Poe. He morphed into a cloud-like shape that randomly moved and changed colors. The only reason she connected it with Master Poe was the dark brown orbs with flecks of blue, red, and yellow, 
She tried to count them, but they kept winking in and out of view as the cloud changed shape. Then she made the connection. He looked like the mist from her nightmare. She saw the formless gray blob of Mr. Murden move. She became dizzy. She closed her eyes. When she opened them, the images in the mirror had returned to that of a girl, a man, and a bird. Mr. Murden held the blue stone in his hand. What just happened? You promised no more hypnosis. We didn't break our promise. The mirror allows us to see our images as they would appear in extra dimensions, Mr. Murden said. Why were you all distorted and gray, and I was mostly gray, except for my eyes? And what happened to Master Poe? I will answer the second question first. You saw Master Poe's true extra-dimensional form. As I explained, he's not truly a raven. He's an entity from the higher dimensions, trapped in our universe. Why does he appear as a raven? I don't know. But the smile on Mr. Murden's face suggested the opposite. Master Poe let out a loud caw. I've told you at least a dozen times, old man. Are you losing your mind now as well as your hair? He turned to Penny. I was exploring your universe, and I accidentally became trapped here. As you saw in the mirror where I come from, we are not constrained to rigid forms. Since I needed one in your dimension, I decided that I'd rather fly than amble about on the ground. To emphasize his point, he leapt from Mr. Murden's shoulder and flew back to his perch. Be thankful I didn't know your world is more than two-thirds water, or I'd have chosen a dolphin, or maybe an octopus. Then where would you be? Penny didn't want to believe any of it, but somehow she knew they were telling the truth. Something in Master Poe's eyes suggested intelligence beyond any person's, much less a trained raven. Okay, what about the shadows? Master Poe bobbed his beak up and down. I'll take this one. The shadows are also higher-dimensional beings, but they're from a lower M-space, or dimension, than me. They've been here longer than I have. Existing here drains them and will eventually destroy them if they can't return to their home dimension. That's why you see them as shadows without definite forms. They have many names— but I refer to them as the Bodok. I am sympathetic to their plight, but I cannot condone their actions. They will do whatever it takes to return to their dimension, even if it means destroying this one. Penny suspected there was more to the Bodok than Master Poe was telling her, but she sensed she wasn't going to learn it today, so she turned back to the mirror. Why was Mr. Murden gray and fuzzy, while it was easy to recognize me, especially my eyes? After another pause, Mr. Murden answered, That's the heart of the matter. He cleared his throat. As I was saying before, most humans have only a vague awareness of the higher dimensions, but there are exceptions. You, Miss Preston, are one of them. You're a native of this dimension— but you're slightly out of phase with it. You're one of those who are misaligned. You can perceive and interact with other dimensions. Questions raced through Penny's mind. 
Why her? How did this happen? How many others were like her? What did it mean? Did being misaligned explain why she often felt like an outsider? Before she could ask any of them, Mr. Murden continued, Most of the misaligned aren't even aware of their gift. A great deal depends on the degree of misalignment. Many only experience it at a subconscious level in their dreams, a feeling of deja vu or a sudden intuitive leap. Misalignment has helped many great artists, philosophers, and even politicians. For some reason, a large percentage are left-handed or ambidextrous, including half of the presidents in the last 50 years. Being misaligned has downsides, too. For some, the gift is a curse. Unable to pass the other dimensions off as dreams, they're also unable to fully understand them. Many lose their sanity— Think of all the entertainers and politicians who fall into self-destructive lifestyles. Penny felt her heartbeat quicken. Her face flushed. How long after she won her Nobel Prize in physics would she last? Would she even make it that far? Was she destined to become an addict? Go insane or perhaps something even worse? Was the point of this meeting to lock her away before she could cause more damage than a food fight? Had she been hypnotized by a bird, or was she already nuts? Of course that's not going to happen with you. We've found you in time. You're going to be fine. Penny shook her head and looked up. What do you mean, in time? The real problem for the misaligned is to have the proper training, and it needs to begin before the person starts to become an adult. You haven't crossed that threshold yet, and we should be able to prevent most of the more troubling side effects. The color left Penny's face. She raised both eyebrows. What troubling side effects are worse than insanity? Chapter 4 The food fight was the talk of the school on Wednesday. Few believed that Jean and Mark started it. They were high achievers, hardly the types to start a food fight. In the culture of eighth grade, they gained respect from their classmates who admired them for taking the blame without pointing fingers, so there was an upside to cleaning out garbage cans. The surprise of the day was social studies, where Ms. Morgan announced their Mesopotamian project. How many of you have given a presentation in front of your classmates? A few students raised their hands. Well, said Ms. Morgan, that's about to change. Miss Morgan ignored the audible moan from the class and continued. Most of you probably think history is nothing more than memorizing dates and names. Am I right? The question was greeted with silence. They may have been eighth graders, but they all knew a trap when they heard one. She smiled back at them. Of course it isn't. Real history is about the everyday lives of people from the past— how they lived, their values, what they ate and wore. It's something you need to experience firsthand. Unfortunately, Miss Jane rejected my request for a field trip to Mesopotamia, so I'm forced to assign you an interactive research project. There were a few groans from the class. She ignored them and passed out a list of projects. By the end of the week, you need to form your team, select your project from this list, and submit both to me. Make sure you pick something that grabs your interest. 
I expect more than facts. I expect the passion of discovery. Think of yourselves as archaeologists searching for lost knowledge. At the end of class, Penny bolted out the door. Duncan hustled to catch her in the hallway. Hey, Penny, what's the rush? I want to get to math class early so I can check my homework. Oh, uh, do you want to be my partner for the project? Sure, she said, then raced down the hallway, leaving Duncan staring at her back. Later that afternoon at swim practice. They were working on the breaststroke technique in practice. Penny loathed the breaststroke. Nice form, Penny, but that was supposed to be a sprint. Coach Harlow yelled, pick up the pace and accelerate through the stroke. I was sprinting, Penny muttered under her breath. To her surprise, she heard Duncan's voice from the next lane. Hey, don't worry, maybe you can set the record for the fastest 200 IM with the slowest breaststroke. Penny pushed off the wall. Once again, Duncan found himself staring as Penny pulled away, albeit more slowly this time. After practice, Duncan positioned himself against the wall just down the hall from the door to the girls' locker room. The door opened, and a girl came out, but it wasn't Penny. Mary Anderson stopped a few feet in front of him. She left already. What? he asked. Penny, that is who you're waiting for, isn't it? Duncan's face flushed as Mary's twin sister Grace stepped into the hall. Penny said something about a meeting and rushed out. Pivoting like a ping-pong ball between the sisters, Duncan said, Oh, do you know where she went? She didn't say, Mary said. Did something happen? Grace asked. Duncan shrugged his shoulders. Beats me. The twins faced each other, then turned and simultaneously smiled at him before heading off. As they disappeared around the corner, Duncan whispered, But I'm going to find out. On her way to Mr. Murden's office, Penny caught a glimpse of Jean and Mark cleaning garbage cans. She felt a twinge of guilt. But what was she supposed to do? No one would believe her story about shadow monsters attacking the school, much less that throwing tapioca stopped them. Whatever else it meant, being misaligned wasn't going to make eighth grade any easier— Instead, she promised herself she'd find a way to make it up to them. She entered the administrative wing, where Mrs. Lester had the phone to her ear again. Penny wondered if it was surgically attached. Mrs. Lester looked up for the briefest of moments and waved Penny through. Mr. Murden looked up from his desk. Ah, Miss Preston, please come in and sit down. Now that you've had some time to digest things... I'm sure you've got a few questions. Why don't we start by answering them? Penny had many, but she noticed Master Poe wasn't in the room, so her first question was unplanned. Where's Master Poe? We felt it might be easier for you if only one of us was here for your first session, so I'm here and he is not. Okay, she said with a shrug. I'm still a little confused about the things leading up to the food fight. I didn't tell you about them because I thought you were trying to trick me into confessing. Mr. Murden chuckled. I may be new here, but I know that Jean Shoemaker and Mark Chapman didn't initiate yesterday's mayhem. That said, I have no intention of turning you in to Miss Jane. You don't have time to waste cleaning garbage cans. 
Penny looked at the ground and shook her head slightly. Yes, I'm not overly fond of punishing the innocent either, but don't worry about Jean and Mark. I'll keep this out of their records and slip a nice letter of recommendation into their files. Once she calms down, I'll talk with Miss Jane about reducing their sentences. Glad to hear that. She settled into a chair and told him about getting cold, seeing the lights flicker, and then seeing the bodock. Mr. Murden listened without interruption. That sounds similar to your nightmare. Penny nodded. Before yesterday, did you ever have the nightmare or anything like it during the day? She shook her head. It's funny, but there are certain times of the year when it happens often, and other times when it doesn't happen at all. Let me guess. A lot around Halloween, and maybe a few times before Christmas and near the end of June. How did you know that? Do you have nightmares, too? Of course, but mine are the normal, everyday type of nightmares. You know, standing in front of class in my underwear, or running out of Earl Grey, that type of thing. As for knowing the timing of yours, those are common times for extra-dimensional phenomena. If you want to know why that is, you'll have to ask Master Poe, although I should warn you there's a lot of heavy math involved. No, I think I'll stick with Mrs. Berardino's math class for now. Smart girl. Now, as I was saying, those times are normal. How about other times? I had it back in August, the night before school started. Is that important? Yes. Both the frequency and the intensity of nightmares will continue to grow as you get older. It's one of the factors that causes problems for the misaligned. What about yesterday? Do the misaligned normally have their nightmares come to life during the day? No. Master Poe thinks that someone is attempting to open a portal between the dimensions which triggered yesterday's incident. Was it the shadows? I mean, Vodok? They would if they could, but they can't. That's why they continue to diminish. It's got to be someone else. Who else could it be? And what's the point of opening a portal, anyway? The portal wasn't being opened to let the Bodak out, but to let someone else in. Wouldn't they get trapped like Master Poe and the Bodak? Not according to Master Poe's theory. If higher-dimensional beings maintain an open portal, they can enter our universe and maintain their extra-dimensional powers. With those, there is virtually no limit to the havoc they might cause— Imagine beings with godlike powers who view life in our dimension in the same way that we view cartoon characters as nothing more than entertainment. As he spoke, his lower eyelids quivered rapidly. That sounds bad. Indeed, very bad, but it hasn't happened yet. We need to get to work if we want to stop it. What makes Master Poe different from the others? Master Poe is a strange bird— but I assure you he's on our side. He's an outcast among his kind. You see, he wasn't trying to build a door into our dimension, just a window so he could study us. Unfortunately, he fell through it. That was rather clumsy of him. Why doesn't he just open it again and go back? It's a little more complicated than that. He built safeguards in it to prevent anyone, even himself from opening it in this dimension. While he maintains some of his powers, they are limited without direct access to energy from his dimension. 
as much as he wants to return to his home dimension. Master Poe has grown fond of our universe. Unlike the Bodok, he would never risk any harm to it, even to return to his home. He and I have worked with quite a few misaligned people. Together we've avoided any truly dangerous mishaps. He's proven himself, and I trust him. So the real reason he's not here is... Mr. Murden let out a long sigh. We thought you might feel more comfortable with me alone. He paused for a moment as if considering something. Enough about Master Poe. Surely you have other questions? What happened to the Bodic yesterday? Mr. Murden twisted his five-stoned ring around his finger. My best guess is that they were drawn to the attempt to open a portal. When that failed, they left. Why would the school's tapioca close the portal? Sure, it's toxic, but seriously. Other than a distraction, I doubt the tapioca had much to do with the failed portal. I think it more likely that this was just an experiment. When you reached through dimensions to grab the tapioca, you created an unplanned instability, and the portal collapsed. But why open a portal here? Opening a sustainable portal is a lot easier when the boundaries between the dimensions are weaker. The misaligned stretch the dimensional fabric. The stronger the misalignment, the thinner the fabric, and the easier it is to create a portal. The Bodok know this. That's why you saw them yesterday. Your presence and the attempted portal opening drew them to the cafeteria like ants to honey. She shuddered. She drew the portal creator to Piper Falls. She brought her nightmare to life. Who cared about a tapioca-drenched cafeteria? The universe was going to end, and it was all her fault. You mean I'm putting everyone in danger? No, Penny, this is not your fault. You're not the one trying to open the portal. Whoever is doing that is the real threat. We need to stop them. Master Poe and I have done this before— Together, with your help, we'll do it again. You've got to trust us. Can you do that? Penny nodded slowly. Good. Now, any other questions? I still don't understand why I'm not the one with my head in a garbage can. How did I throw Mark's tapioca across the cafeteria without anyone seeing me? Mr. Murden's face broke into one of his grandfatherly grins. When the Bodok arrived, you instinctively opened a transdimensional rift, grabbed Mark's tapioca, and threw it at Jean. No one else saw you because you were moving through dimensions they can't perceive. So rifts are different than time folds. For now, yes, but with enough extra-dimensional energy, creatures like the Bodok will be able to physically manifest in and interact with our universe— to stop them, your instincts need to become second nature, so you can call on them at will. That's the point of your training. Penny let out a heavy sigh. Mr. Murden nodded. Your misalignment doesn't make you evil. It may be rare in humans, but there are quite a few animals that are misaligned, too. Really? Which ones? At the first frost, the monarch butterflies in New York migrate to the Mariposa Monarca Biosphere Reserve in Mexico. That's a long trip for a butterfly. Yes, the migration takes three generations of butterflies to complete. 
perhaps even more remarkable than that, the generation that reaches Mexico lives four times longer than its forebears before it starts the return trip north. The entire migration requires seven generations to finish. Each butterfly flies to a place it has never seen before. That would be like you returning to your great-great-great-great-grandmother's house without ever having been there. Is that where their misalignment comes in? Indeed, it's a very basic, extra-dimensional capability, but it allows them to follow an unseen flight path along their migration route. That's nice, but unless monarchs can help me learn to close portals, it doesn't really help. That's true, but there are other misaligned animals that can help. Please tell me unicorns are real and you've got one waiting for me. Oh, they're real, but sadly no one has seen one in ages— but have you ever wondered why witches are associated with swamps? I thought it was just part of the myth to make them creepier. Mr. Murden shook his head. Actually, real witches are powerfully misaligned people who kept their wits and survived. They learned that certain animals like frogs, toads, newts, and salamanders concealed their misalignment and hid them from the bodok. So, instead of a unicorn, I need to hang out with slimy amphibians? I suppose you could, but the amphibians are best at hiding small misalignments. And you, Miss Preston, are quite misaligned. We couldn't hide you in a swamp full of frogs and newts. No, what you need is something more powerful. I hope it's not snakes. I can't stand snakes. No, it's not a snake, but I would like to offer you a gift. Mr. Murden rose from his chair and walked to a box in the corner of his office. He reached down into it and whispered, Time to wake up. She couldn't see who or what he was talking to, but when he turned she saw a cat in his arms. It was black with a white star-shaped patch on its chest. He walked over and gently placed the cat in Penny's lap. She smiled and stroked the cat, he arched his back and immediately started purring. Thank you. I've wanted a cat for so long, but what if my parents won't let me keep him? I called your father this afternoon and told him I was looking for a home for a young stray cat. I also mentioned that you told me that you wanted a cat, preferably a black one. I never told you that. So I took a few liberties with the truth, but I knew you'd like him. I don't like him. I love him. She continued to stroke the purring cat. Also, he's part of your training. He's your protection. What do you mean? How am I supposed to train him? Mr. Murden chuckled. No, if our success depends on training a cat, I might as well give up and spend my last weeks on a tropical island. Like the amphibians, his misalignment will hide your misalignment. Unlike their protection, which has a limited range... One of the reasons witches often live near swamps, a cat's protection confers extra-dimensionally. There is no limit to how far you can be from your cat and still be protected. I'm sensing there's a catch. Yes, the cat chooses whom to protect. How does a cat choose? Honestly, I don't know. But if you care for the cat when it's young... It will always convey protection to you. A cat's protection lasts for the life of the cat. All you need to do is 
give him a name and take care of him. Once he chooses you, the portal creator won't be able to find you. What about the Bodak? They will still be drawn to you, but their real goal is to return home, so as long as there's no portal attached to you, they should leave you alone. No more Halloween nightmares? I wouldn't be surprised if you've experienced the last of them. Penny's face lit up. For the first time in days, she was happy. Her smile faded as she realized she had so much more to learn if she was going to stop their enemies from enslaving the world. That completes our lesson. Your homework is to name and bond with your cat. Penny beamed. That's the best homework assignment ever. She moved her hand to her new cat's head and scratched his ears. His purring grew louder. With her other hand, she rubbed his chin. His tongue flicked out and licked her wrist. This was going to be easy. Chapter 5 The next morning before school... The day started off on the wrong foot for Duncan. He overslept by a few minutes, which meant his twin brothers, Sean and Patrick, beat him to breakfast. Though Duncan's appetite was impressive, it was nothing compared to that of the twins. A plague of locusts had nothing on them. They could easily polish off an entire box of cereal and a carton of milk in a single sitting. That was bad enough, but the twins had also mastered the art of nearly finishing anything. The pantry was almost always full of nearly empty boxes of cereal. This morning began with a double whammy. Duncan had to mix bits and crumbs from three different cereals. To make matters worse, they'd left only a few drops of what turned out to be the last carton of milk in the house. He had to use coffee creamer to avoid eating dry cereal dust. On top of that rough start, he was preoccupied with the way Penny had avoided him at every opportunity the day before. While he walked to her house, he went over the entire day, trying to identify what he'd done to annoy her. Other than his jibe about her slow breaststroke, nothing came to mind. Besides, he'd said that or something similar dozens of times without an issue. If it wasn't him then it must be something or someone else. As her best friend, he needed to help her, even if she didn't ask. Duncan knocked on the Preston's front door and was greeted by Mr. Preston. Good morning, Duncan. Please come in. I'm afraid we don't have any extra breakfast this morning. Duncan's heart sank. Today, of all days, he could have really used a little extra food. That's okay, Mr. Preston. Is Penny ready to go? I think so. She's with Simon. Duncan's eyes widened, but he remained silent. Duncan, are you all right? Uh, oh, sorry. Yeah, I'm fine. Can you tell me where they are? Last I checked, they were in the living room. Thanks. He made his way through the door and thought, who's this Simon, and what's he doing here so early in the morning? Was he the reason why there had been a distance between them? As he walked toward the living room, he could see the back of Penny's head, but no one else. He stepped through the archway into the room and said, Hi, Penny. Where's your friend? Without turning around, she said, Why don't you come in and meet him? Uh, sure. Where is he? He's on the couch right next to me. 
Duncan gritted his teeth and walked around to the front of the couch. His mood changed instantly when he saw a large black cat curled up on the cushion next to Penny. Simon's a cat? Of course. Didn't my dad tell you? Duncan shook his head. No, he just said you were in here with Simon. When did you get a cat? Yesterday. Mr. Murden gave him to me. Isn't he adorable? Yeah, he's great, Duncan said, contemplating if he should caress him but deciding against it. After all, cats had sharp claws. Are you ready? We need to be leaving. Oh, right. I lost track of time. Penny sat up carefully and gave Simon one more affectionate scratch behind his ears. Penny couldn't stop talking about Simon. About halfway to school, Duncan decided it was time to change the subject. Simon's a really cool cat, but there's something else I want to talk about. Sure. What's on your mind? So, what was with you yesterday? What do you mean? Come on. Something's bothering you. You ignored me all day and you were rushing all over the place... You practically ran away from me in the hallway after Morgan's class, and you didn't even wait for me after swim practice. We always walk home together. Without looking at him, Penny replied, I told you I needed to check my math homework. Mrs. Berardino's been pushing us hard. Duncan paused for a moment. Penny was in double accelerated math, so even though she was the smartest kid in school, she might have been having trouble. Okay, but what about after swim practice? You know I was only kidding about your slow breaststroke, right? I know. She gave him a half-smile. Are you in some kind of trouble? Are Jack and Bella bothering you again? Last year, a sled dog team had visited the school. One of the dogs had one brown and one blue eye, which inspired Bella and Jack to nickname Penny Dogface. The name was bad enough, but posting Siberian Husky pictures all over the school with Penny's initials on them was too much. Although he had never told Penny, Duncan was the one to put a stop to it. He smiled, remembering how he accidentally gave Jack a bloody nose during gym class. I'm not in any trouble, and even though Jack and Bella are jerks, they're not bothering me. I had a meeting. A meeting? With whom? Mr. Murden. Oh, to get Simon? He did give me Simon at the end of our meeting, but that's not why we met. I'm entering the Monroe Science Contest. Mr. Murden is my sponsor. I'm working on M-theory, which was his specialty. My project proposal is due at the end of October. Uh, that sounds great, but what's the rush? You've got a month before it's due. Everyone else started working over the summer. I need to catch up if I want to make the finals. She reached into her backpack and pulled out a large book on M-theory. This is just the basic stuff. I'll need to go deeper if I want to win. Duncan eyed the thick book. I'd love to help, but I'm not sure I'd be useful. That's okay. I just need you to understand that I'll be crazy busy for the next month, so if I seem a little distracted, it's not you, it's me. Duncan nodded, and his mouth said, I understand but in the back of his mind he knew Penny wasn't telling him everything. If he wanted the whole truth, he'd have to find it himself. Friday, that same week. Penny looked over her shoulder at the gang in the hallway standing around the lockers. None of them, not even Duncan, had noticed her slip away for her training session with Mr. Murden. 
She'd spent all week building her cover story by dropping lines about the multiverse, string theory, and such things into casual conversations. Obviously, her plan had been a success. But then, why did she feel so forlorn? She searched for a bright spot, and Simon immediately came to mind. The young cat always seemed to be around. Thinking of him made her smile as she entered Mr. Murden's office. Hello, Penny. You seem cheerful today. Oh, I was just thinking about Simon. Hmm, how are things with your new cat? Simon's just wonderful. He greets me at the door when I get home and sleeps at the end of my bed every night. Have you had any nightmares? Penny shook her head. Not one. Good. I'm glad that you and Simon have bonded so quickly. I think that means we can safely move on to your next level of training— so far, we've focused on a lot of theory, but theory won't save us. Are you ready for some application? I sure am. Good. We're going to start with some card tricks. Card tricks? What good are card tricks against the Bodok? Mr. Murden pursed his lips, then shook his head. I don't suppose they're much good at all, but translocation is a tricky business. If you try to move too large an object too far... Penny interrupted. The energy required is directly related to the object's distance and its weight. If you move an object that's too heavy or too far away from you, without enough energy, bad things happen. We've covered this already. To be more specific, it's the mass of the object, not its weight, that matters. But as long as you're on the Earth, it's not a big issue. Before we move anything transdimensionally, you need to master opening rifts. We'll start with card tricks. He spread a deck of cards face down on the table and pointed to one. Name this card. Penny scrunched her nose and asked, How do I do that? Manipulate the card outside our dimension. Open a small rift, reach through, and look at the card. Penny concentrated on the space just above the card, the icy cold of the boundary crept up her arm as she pushed her hand through. Other than that, she felt nothing strange. She grabbed the card and looked at its back. It's the Five of Hearts. Mr. Murden flipped the card over. It was the Five of Hearts. Penny smiled. That was easy. Mr. Murden smiled back. Let's try something a little more challenging. He pulled a card out looked at it, then shuffled it into the deck. Name that card. Penny created a rift and searched through the entire deck, but she couldn't find the card. After nearly a minute, she closed the rift. I can't. I know. Then why did you ask me? Misalignment is not magic. You still need to use your brain. So I should have opened the rift as soon as you pointed to the card, right? Yes, this is just a simple card trick that any street magician can do. All of their flourishes and words are just for show, but they understand timing. Opening and closing rifts is fine, but it won't save you if you're too late. During the rest of the session, they practiced the same trick with different twists, with her back turned, blindfolded, and from outside the office. Each time, Penny named the correct card. Very well done. I think you're ready to take the next step. Please bring a top hat to our next session. 
not a plastic one, but a felt or silk one. Where am I going to get a top hat? I don't know, but you've got all weekend. I'm sure you'll find one somewhere. Later that same day, in a small room on the other side of town, a grating, raspy voice originated from the fog. Why have you summoned me? Have you got good news? Unfortunately, no. Murden is aware of the girl, and she's begun training. A low growl emanated from the fog. They're moving very quickly. In only a few training sessions, she's learned to open a controlled rift. How do you know this? You are not misaligned, the fog snarled. The amulet that allows me to summon you also enables me to sense openings between the dimensions. Its range is limited, but just today I detected transdimensional activity consistent with a rift. The fog shook with a haughty laugh. Then we have them. If she is opening rifts, we can track her from the higher planes and attach our portal to her. Murden has been too hasty. The master never was able to keep his apprentices in line. As the voice trailed off, more laughter echoed from the fog. I'm afraid it's not going to be that easy. What do you mean? She might as well send up a big flare telling me how to find her. Once I find her, I can use her to anchor my portal. It will be simple. She's got a cat. I hate cats. Surely she cannot have established a bond so quickly. It takes more than a few days, does it not? It seems it can be done. I can vaguely sense her openings, but I can't pinpoint them. She's protected, and given the strength of the protection, it must be a cat. Then you must eliminate the cat. Easier said than done. I'm no expert in the cat-killing business, nor do I plan to become one. No, I do not suppose that you do. You will need help. And just who do you suggest I go to for this help? I doubt the Department of Animal Control will oblige me. I suggest, and by the tone she knew it was more than a suggestion, the unhomed. Who? The unhomed are higher dimensional beings trapped in your universe when the last permanent portal to their dimension closed. Many have dissipated, but a few remain. While they have lost much of their potency, their remnants should be sufficient to eliminate the cat. Not to question you, but just where do I find these unhomed, and how do I enlist their help? You can summon them. They are attuned to dimensional openings. If the Master's new champion has been practicing her skills, I am sure the unhomed have sensed her. The cat will keep them from pinpointing her exact location, but they are sure to be near. You said that the unhomed have been here a long time and have lost most of their powers. If they are nothing more than shadows, what can they do, even against a cat? Beware your insolent tone. Individually, most are indeed little more than the bogeymen of children's nightmares— 
but several of them merged into one, would have enough power to take physical form. We must compel them to combine their powers. Of course they will resist. I mean, no disrespect, but how do we compel them? Neither of us can do it alone, but together we can coerce them to a physical form and bind them to our task. I require your consent to work through you. It will be unpleasant for both of us, but it is the only way we can force the unhomed to work together. She did not relish allowing the entity to channel his power through her. It might be the only way to compel the unhomed to help, but if she wasn't careful, he would use his power to control her. However, she had traveled the world learning the secrets of the ancient magi, priests, and druids. Her most recent acquisition from Wales this summer, the druidic Amdifignona, was the key. Together with her amulet, its wards would protect her. Confident in her knowledge, she consented. I agree. Quicker than she thought possible, the fog enveloped her. A chill cut through her body. Goosebumps rose on her arms. She clenched her jaw to prevent her teeth from chattering and closed her eyes to hold back the numbing cold. Through the icy pain, she continuously repeated the ancient mantra. Tan in Ivorga, tan es brennoljaith, tan fiwidniwid. The ancient Welsh imbolc ritual verse from Amdifignona translated to English meant fire of the forge, fire of inspiration, fire of new life. Imbolc, the forerunner of Groundhog Day, reminded people they were halfway through the dark days of winter and called forth the warmth and new life of spring. In theory, when combined with her amulet, the words gave her the power to fight the frigid assault from the higher dimensions. At first she feared she would succumb and lose her soul to the entity. Her lips and the tips of her fingers turned blue. She lost the feeling in her toes. Just when she thought her strength was spent, the cold receded. The warmth seeped into her body. Her goosebumps subsided. Her face flushed. The mist remained, but instead of a freezing fog, it became a warm summer spray. She had bested him, and they both knew it. I did not know anyone still practiced the old arts, the voice said. She smiled. She'd won this round, but she couldn't relax. If given another opportunity, he would certainly seize it. You underestimated me. Yes, it appears I did. No matter. It is time to summon the unhomed, and I must instruct you in the creation of a Grimalkin. That weekend in downtown Piper Falls... Duncan leaned against a utility pole and, from a distance, watched Penny go into the thrift shop. Simon, the cat, waited outside the door, just like he had at the other two stores. Someone tapped Duncan on his shoulder. Startled, he turned and saw two girls. He recognized one as Laura Chapman, Mark's younger sister. Hey, what's up, Laura? 
could you move, please? We want to put these posters on the pole. He stepped away, and the girls taped two posters to the pole. Both were for missing cats. How long has she been missing? Duncan asked. Two days, Laura said. I hope you find her. Me too. Mr. Jenkins at the pet store said an animal is raiding local farms. We're worried that it might... Sobbing, she couldn't finish. The other girl patted her on the back, and they both walked away. Duncan turned back toward the thrift shop and saw Penny heading toward him. There was no time to hide, so he stepped out from behind the pole. Hi, Penny. What are you doing here? I was just taking a walk, and I saw Simon sitting outside the thrift shop. Does he follow you everywhere? A smile crossed her face, and she scratched Simon's chin. He does seem to be around all of the time, doesn't he? Are you sure he's not a dog? Simon meowed as if to protest. They both laughed. So, what did you buy? Something for your science project? Before she could answer, Duncan reached over and looked in the bag. An old top hat? Are you going to use it to reach into another universe or something? He asked jokingly. Uh, of course not. It doesn't have anything to do with the project. Then what's it for? The Andersons thought we should all cross-dress for Halloween this year, and I thought I might be able to use it as part of my costume. Who are you going to be, Abe Lincoln? No, it's a surprise, and I might not even need it. I'm sorry, but I've got a lot of homework. See you tomorrow. In what was becoming an all-too-common occurrence, Duncan found himself staring at Penny walking away from him. He turned around and stared right into the eyes of a large black bird perched on the pole. There was something about those eyes. Strange colored light reflected from them. Strong flashes of blue and yellow with a hint of red. It was like staring at precious gems sparkling in the sunlight. Everything else disappeared. Duncan saw nothing but the jewel eyes of the black bird. Across the street, a truck leaving the bluebird in roared to life. As the driver pulled onto the road, a resounding crack exploded through the air. The backfiring truck broke Duncan out of his trance. The sights and sounds of the street returned. He vaguely recalled a black bird, but he couldn't see one. How will Penny deal with the challenges of her new role as protector of the universe? That's quite a task to put on a kid. How will she keep her training a secret, especially from Duncan? And what other secrets are Master Poe and Mirden keeping from her? Stay tuned to find out. So don't forget to subscribe to CamCat Unwrapped. If you don't want to miss a beat, listen to Penny Preston and the Raven's Talisman now on the audiobook platform of your choice. All our audiobooks are also available in print and ebook formats on camcatbooks.com or wherever books are sold. You can find Armin Pogarian on his website at arminpogarian.com and make sure you follow us on social media at camcatbooks. Tune in to hear all our audiobooks as we release them right here on Camcat Unwrapped as serialized podcasts. The first two episodes of every book can always be found here but subsequent episodes will be available for free listening only for a short time after their release. After that, they'll be gone. But don't worry, the audiobooks are available for purchase on Audible and other major retailers. CamCat Unwrapped also offers other CamCat books as podcasts. 
Also, check out our background episodes where we unwrap exclusive content relating to our books, including interviews with the authors, editors, and other industry professionals. Before you go, please take a moment to leave us a review on your preferred podcast platform. Thank you. Tune in again to CamCat Unwrapped, because CamCat Unwrapped is where book lovers meet.